Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Olivia Mentor. And today we have a fantastic guest. We're joined by Nora McInerney, who is the host of the Terrible Thanks for Asking podcast and has a new book of essays out that we're excited to talk about. Yes. Nora's new book is called Bad Vibes Only, and it's lovely and she's lovely. And I loved this interview. But before we get to that, today's episode is sponsored by Newly, our favorite clothing rental subscription service. Bad on Paper listeners can get $20 off their first month at newly.com. That's N-U-U-L-Y. That's Newly with two U's with code B-O-P-20. Olivia. Let's talk. <laughs> We're very yes. jinxy today. But Olivia, I am taking the mic here so that I can ask you to tell me your hi. Great. Yes. My high was over the weekend, Jake and I stayed at this hotel in the Catskills in New York. It's called Deer Mountain Inn. And I've followed them on Instagram for so long. It just always looked like the most cozy spot. So I booked a stay there many months ago. It kind of snuck up on us this weekend. Anyway, it was it was unseasonably warm. It was like mm. 70 degrees outside during the day in early November, which I hated. But it was just beautiful. There's a fireplace. It really is so cozy. I really, really recommend it. Food is good. The bar, I drank red wine and read my book in the darkness, and it was really perfect. What is your high? Wait, I have more questions about the Deer Mountain Inn. Okay. Is it an actual place, or is it a YouTube ambiance room? (laughs) Be honest. (laughs) I, I... I feel like it might be both. It was very confusing because it, honest to God, did look like an ambiance room. Olivia, I have never seen a place that was more on brand for you. Like, it looked like your natural habitat. Like, if you were, like, a lizard and I were designing a terrarium for you, it would be this place. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. That's a compliment. It really was very, very me. It just spoke to my soul. I loved it there. I loved it. You should go. You would love it too. I am very sold after seeing your Instagram stories. Becca texted me and was like, I think you may never come back. Yeah, <laughs> like, I was really are worried. Are you going to still do the podcast when you move there? <laughs> yeah, I was really concerned that she was just like, well, this is my life now. I live in this live in alternate this universe in this YouTube ambiance room and I like it here in the Matrix. I really did like it there, but then I was forced to leave and I was sad, but such is life. Mm. Okay, tell me about your high. My high is my time off that I've gotten to take the past two and a half weeks. And I sold my book and then I've had some downtime while I've been waiting for my editorial letter, which is like my first round of feedback from my editor. And it has felt amazing. So I think since I started consulting five years ago, there was one week that I took fully offline, like I went on a vacation, I was like, I'm not checking email. And that was when I went to France over the summer. And then I got COVID. But I have not taken time off in a rest and recharge way in years. And I have felt so good. I didn't make any plans. I didn't have any big goals for my time off, which is something I would totally do. Like, I'm going to start a new hobby or I'm going to do this really productive thing. I just, I cooked a lot. I tried to get back into like meal prepping mode. I went on a lot of walks. I read books. I did a lot of puzzles. Like I was just vibing. I don't even want to say lazy. I was just calm 
Yeah, that's great. I love that for you. It felt really good. People don't truly take time off enough ever in this country specifically. So I'm I'm glad they're, you know, taking time to just reset and recharge. It was really nice. Maybe I'm going to need to embrace a more European lifestyle when it comes to, you know, like don't in Europe, don't they take the full month of August off? Yeah, it's like we have 130 weeks of vacation per year. I don't, that's more weeks than there are in a year, but you it's get double. the idea. Yeah. yeah, everyone is very relaxed. Meanwhile, we're like, uh, what's there's some joke that's like, even if I'm in the hospital, you can still reach me by cell phone or something like that. It's so true and very sad. What about on the low side? I don't really have a low. Not really. Um, yeah, I've had like a really nice week and I've been feeling really creative and just kind of like chill. Like you said, at yeah. peace. Like I've just been feeling really relaxed. So... What yeah, good vibes no, no. we're bringing into this episode. <laughs> look look at us go. <laughs> What's your low? Um, I I wouldn't say it's a full low. It is both a low and a high. So I got my okay. editorial letter for my book yesterday, which is like a four or five page letter from my editor that goes through all of the big changes that they want to make to my book. And I have my first deadline And it's a really tight deadline because this is so wild. And I did not understand this before I kind of got into the process of selling my book. But publishing moves so slowly. And there was a big conversation about whether my book would even be able to come out in 2023 or if it would have to come out in 2024. And in order for it to come out in 2023, everything needs to like move really fast, which I'm excited about because... I want it to come out in 2023. I feel like I've been the girl who cried book for two years now. I'm ready for what's next. And also, because my book is a holiday book and it needs to come out in October or November, it's going to be a presidential election cycle. And like, who knows what nonsense is going to be going on in 2024. So I, I have to turn things around really quickly to make 2023 happen. So my first round of edits is due in three weeks. And I don't know what's normal. I don't have a good frame of reference for comparison. That's fast. It's fast. And I'm I'm stressed. I'm excited, but I'm stressed. And I think a lot of my stress is not wanting to let anyone down. So I just I'm feeling a lot of pressure, but I'm coming into it restored. So that's that's important. It's a it's not a full low because I'm also just excited that I have feedback and I have other people in this with me now. So it's a it's a mixed bag, not a full low. Well, good luck. I know you can do it. Thank you. Shall we take a little ad break before we talk to Nora? Sure. One of my most frequently asked questions on Instagram in my DMs is if I have a code for Newly's clothing rental subscription service. And I am so excited to be talking about the brand today and to have them as a sponsor on the podcast. Personally, I am trying to keep spending to a minimum this month when it comes to clothing so I can have room in the budget to buy Christmas gifts. And that means no new clothes for me. But luckily, Newly gives me the option to rent pieces each and every month. I'm the queen of the impulse purchase and of buying a new item for a trip or a special event. And Newly helps me avoid all that extra spending while still scratching that itch to try new styles and trends. 
because I'm new to the service too, and you're wondering how it works, it's super easy and fun. So each month, you get to pick six pieces to rent, and there are thousands of styles to choose from hundreds of different brands and a size range that goes up to 5X plus maternity options. They carry labels Olivia and I both love, like Free People, Anthropology, and Farm Rio. And they also give you the option to buy the pieces you love for up to 70% off. I actually rented a Selkie dress on Newly over the summer, and I absolutely loved it. So I rented it another time, and I decided that I liked it so much that I ended up buying it at a highly discounted price. And if you know how difficult Selkie dresses are to find, even at full price, then you know just how good of a deal this is. It felt like such a smart purchase that I got to try out multiple times, and I've already gotten so many compliments on the dress. Newly is also an incredible gift for the holidays. You can actually gift one, two, or three months of Newly through the gifting platform Goody. I think it would be such an amazing present this Christmas that someone would really use that doesn't feel wasteful. Yeah, it's just awesome. So Newly is already a great value at $88 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with our code BOP20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y dot com. That's newly with two U's and enter code BOP20 at sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's with code BOP20, newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Let's get into the interview. We are so excited about today's guest. Today, we're joined by Nora McInerney, who is the host of the podcast Terrible Thanks for Asking and the author of five books, most recently Bad Vibes Only, a collection of essays that came out in October. Nora, I am so excited that you're here with us today. I also feel like a weird amount of pressure because you're a frequent podcast guest, so I want to like, I want to deliver to people who've heard you on other shows. Oh, I I love being a guest. I it's love being a guest. It's so wonderful. I'm just here to have fun and I love your podcast and I love you guys. So this is really this is a this is a very good day for me. Well, I guess to start things off, I need to tell you the story of how I am aware of you from from <laughs> 12ish years ago. I can't this over a decade. Of anxiety. Of More 12 years than ago. a decade. 12 years ago is a whew, different time for me. Buckle so up, everyone. I can't wait. So I went to college with <laughs> who I think you know from Minneapolis slash Tumblr. Your face. We hooked up a bunch of times. He's kind of a trash basket. Really big into Tumblr, though. And I think you were Tumblr friends, maybe. And he shared something of yours. And this was from pre-Aaron, your your husband yes. who, who passed yep. away. Like this was like a long oh, yeah. time is, ago. This is when I was, I was Tumblr. I was like one of the first, like I was a beta user of Tumblr. I'm pretty sure. I was very into wow. Tumblr culture, very indie sleaze. It, when I, when I flinched, when you said 2010, there was a reason. Okay. <laughs> that was a, <laughs> a different time. What did he share? He reshared something Wait, I need to find this. I had it up oh, and then I refreshed it. Um, it's from your now deleted Tumblr, but oh, it yeah, still yeah. shows up on my Tumblr because I re-tumbled it. Is that how that works? Yeah. Okay, so it yep. still exists. Can I can I read it to you? Is that okay? Oh, God. Sure. Yeah. Okay, wait. I need to find it. Hold on one second. 
I the idea of someone reading my Tumblr post back to me makes me want to actually like throw myself in front of a garbage truck. So I don't think it's bad. I think it's still lovely. Okay. It's, I mean, you're incredible writer, so I'm sure it's wonderful. I'm going to yeah. tell you the title first, and you okay. tell me if you remember what it is. Okay. It's called On Men and Love and Lack Thereof. I don't remember this at all. Okay, let's go. Okay. Sometimes my cousin and I map our time by the boys and the men we have loved, tracing our footsteps and trying to find some pattern where there doesn't seem to be one. I myself have schizophrenia of the heart. I've fallen for big eyes, for kind smiles, for soft hair, and for the smell of cigarettes and the sweat. I've fallen for the idea of love, for adoration, admiration, and friendship disguised as romance. I've fallen for talent. I've fallen for words. I've fallen for the butterflies that slammed around my insides when he looked at me through the camera lens and smiled. I've fallen for hands in my hair and shirts I could borrow and the way he laughed at all of my jokes. I've fallen for what was difficult, what was challenging, what made me stare at my phone for hours, and what woke me up in the morning. I've fallen for the dismissive, the vain, the insecure, the strong, the sensible, and the warm. When I didn't fall, I pushed myself anyway. I pushed myself to give what I didn't have to give, to take what was given to me even if I didn't want it. Pushed myself to forget my own needs, to see potential where there wasn't any, to futilely light a fire without a spark, even though Bruce Springsteen specifically said it couldn't be done. <laughs> Amazing. Damn. That's pretty good. I think that stands wow. the test of time. That's a great regrammable quote Wow. Post. Will you so, send that to me? Yes, of course. Becca, this trash bag man shared that? Yeah, he reshared Nora's post. Oh, wait. So then later, we matched on Tinder, and he said some real disgusting things to me. I believe that. So, Nora, this morning, I'm typing this outline, and I'm like, I got to tell Nora my story. Like, let's go. And then I go to the dentist. And I'm sitting in the waiting room for the dentist. And wouldn't you know who walks in? I did not know he even lives in New York. You are shitting me. And I was like, that can't be him. Have not spoken to him in a decade. And the, the receptionist was like, oh, and I was like, fuck me. We just ignore what? each other. <laughs> I wow. have not heard that name in so long. And so then I followed you on Tumblr, but then I kind of forgot about you. Yeah. This sounds more offensive than it is. Yeah. It's not offensive. Like it's, it, but isn't it so strange? You like intersect with people in like various forms of like the internet yes. and then. Yeah. Who knows? Well, then, so Grace and I got invited to do a live show for our podcast. Yeah. And we said yes, even though we didn't know what that meant. Yeah. And we were like, we better go to some live shows for other podcasts. And I just Googled podcast live show. Yeah. Yours came up. And I was like, oh, I think I know who she is. Yeah. And so we went to a live show that you did at Bell House. And yeah. I had never listened to your podcast. I had no idea what it was about. We got there on time, which was late. And so there were no seats. So we were sitting on the floor. And about 10 minutes in, both of us are just sitting on the floor, sobbing in a room full of strangers because we did not realize what your podcast was about and what the content was going to be. And the guest was like this woman who just got up and talked about her husband dying. And we were like, I'm wrecked. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was probably 2019, maybe. The before. Yeah, that was the before. That was yeah. the before times. I will say this last podcast, you are one woman left because it wasn't sad anymore. She said I wasn't serious? sad anymore. She had to go. How does that feel? How do you feel about people being like, I like you because 
you make me cry. And like, yeah, yeah like I mean, trauma porn. Yeah, that's the thing is like, I've never wanted to make trauma porn. So I don't because I could tell when people were doing it to me and it's so dehumanizing. And I could tell yeah. when people were doing it to Aaron uh, when he had brain cancer, I could tell what it was and I hated it. And so I've always been like really intentional about the way that we tell a story on terrible things for asking so that it, it's not just like, Oh, look at all these sad things that happened, but that there's like meaning there is, you know, and not, not like the kind of meaning where it's like, this had to happen. So I could, you know, my husband laid down his life back on Olivia. So I could have a podcast, you know, isn't that great? Isn't that great? Wonderful. No, but like, you know, so that there's somebody has like a reflection on it. Like it means something to them that this happened. So it was odd to me in Seattle when the woman was like, yeah, I just, mm, I guess you're not sad anymore. I was like, well, I mean, don't worry. I'm like incredibly depressed. I'm like, oh, sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> shouldn't you be happy for me that I'm not sad? <laughs> happy? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Like I've always contained multitudes. Even the first season of the show, it's like, I think it's pretty evident that I'm just like, you know, I have sadness and I'm also a weirdo. And I think that's like, yeah. that's the balance. That's the balance of life. Also, like sadness and grief is not one dimensional. <laughs> right. Yeah. And also like it, no matter what, it doesn't exist for that person to consume. So yeah, it's oh, really man. it's it, that was a strange one. That was a strange one. But uh, but yeah, just so you know, if you come and see a terrible thanks for asking live show now, you might cry a little bit, but mostly it will be very funny. So <laughs> that's a healthy balance. Perfect mix. Yeah. Yeah. That's the perfect mix. So I want to talk about your book. I know that on Terrible Thanks for Asking, you talk about yourself, but you also tell a lot of other people's stories. And mm-hmm. I want to know, how did you decide to be so candid in your memoirs and like tell everyone your shit or what I um, perceive to be your shit? I don't know if there's like a second bag of hidden shit that you're like, this is yeah, for them. You have to keep a second bag of hidden shit always. That okay. is my advice to any person. You ha- there, There's some shit that is just for you. There's some stuff that is just for you. So even the very first book I wrote, which I wrote in the six months after Aaron died, I, I remember someone saying like, well, there's just not enough cancer in it. There's just not enough like, you know, I, I, by the way, I'll only remember horrible things people say to me. And I'm like, oh, did you think I was going to tell you? the parts that were just for us. You know what I mean? Like that's trauma porn right there. You wanted to know. You wanted, and there are things that have happened in my life and in the lives of people I love that are just not for other people's consumption, that they just aren't. But Becca, you read something that I wrote 12 years ago when no one was reading anything I wrote. I just wrote that. I just wrote that and I threw it up on the internet. Why? I don't know. Because I have always been an observer of my own feelings and other people's feelings. I am always and have always been looking around for evidence that it's not just me, that other people, are you seeing this? Are you feeling this too? And the internet was just always a way for me to express that. And I guess in a for the reason we share anything, right? Like that we're hoping it will reach someone else. It wasn't reaching anyone. There were most of the writing that I've done, no one has ever seen or they haven't seen since 2010 or 2014 or whatever. But I I write like I do and I write about what I do because I don't know how to do anything else. Yeah. I don't know how to do anything else. I'm blown away whenever I read a novel. I'm like, holy shit, you made this up? Are you kidding me? You made up all, none of these people exist. 
None of them. You, nobody said this first. You had to make it up. That's wild to me. That is wild to me. But I heard in an interview that you did on Forever 35 that you said, you're done. You're not doing I'm any done. more memoirs. You're not doing any personal essay collections. You're not like yeah. mining your life for, yeah. for books. Yeah. So are you going to make people it. up? This is it. I might make people up. I might make people up and I might just do what I do now for most of my job, which is work with people on telling their stories, mm-hmm. which is what, you know, the podcast is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is like a very sacred job that I enjoy doing. That means a lot to me, but at some point, and I think also because when you're writing memoir, when you're writing essay, it is presenting like your soft underbelly to the world. And when people don't like it, I mean, you know, uh, a lot of the times it feels like they just don't like you. And I just do not have the temperament for that. I don't. There I plenty most of people certainly do. would not. Do you find that people kind of assume because you do share so much and so much that's really vulnerable that they think that they know everything about you and <laughs> that they just are like, okay, there's nothing more. And then when something happens, like uh, you write about in the book, um, not wanting to share photos of your children anymore do people sort of react in an odd way? Like, okay, well, you've given us everything else. (laughs) Like, we want more. Yeah, imagine that. It's such a strange thing. I would say most people, the vast majority of people in the world, by the way, in the world are just reasonable people. The vast majority of people are reasonable. Like, across, like, you know, everything that has happened, especially in the past, like, I don't know, let's say 10 years politically, you can kind of feel like, okay, there's only two extremes of people, right? There's the very good and there's the very bad. Most people are squarely in the middle and have a lot of both. When you're interacting with people online, it obviously feels like that. People are horrible to you or they are wonderful to you. And there's yeah. very little that is in the middle. But when you when I talk about not sharing photos of my kids anymore, it's a personal decision. It's a parenting decision. And it's very difficult to talk about things like parenting without a person who is making a different choice, feeling threatened, feeling attacked. And I know that because when I read about people parenting differently than I do, I, I can feel that. I can very quickly feel that, right? Like, well, I don't have my kids in sports and activities. And so are they not going to understand how how teams work? My kids don't want to be in sports and activities, by the way. They like they are stay-at-home kids. They are chess <laughs> kids. Yeah. They are chess and reading kids. That's it. But not sharing my kids anymore online was a decision that I came to honestly far too late and far too slowly. And it was, it felt like an arbitrary line to draw, right? And It was and it wasn't. Some people like will occasionally comment and wonder about the children. And of course, of course, of course, I can understand why, especially because I started sharing my kids when I had a kid, when I had a kid and my husband was dead and I was so alone. I was so lonely and I lost this like witness to my life and to my son. I no longer had somebody to come home to and marvel at this person with. I didn't have a person who could say, oh, look what he did today. Isn't that so funny? Look, I took this little video. Isn't that so cute? And I used the internet as that person. And so that did help me. I just hadn't considered the fact that my children are people. I just hadn't considered that. I hadn't considered the fact that, oh, I'm sharing his life. And yes, our life is an overlapping Venn diagram, 
but I can't make those choices for him. Do you journal? I journal a lot. Yeah. See, I am Olivia journals too. And I am so jealous of that because I, I totally respect what you're saying, but I, I kind of love that, you know, this podcast acts of like this record that I can go back to because I don't have journals and I, any, anytime I try, I just, it hasn't stuck for me. There's like something lovely about envisioning my 80 year old self being able to go look back at all the stupid things that I was thinking and like having those moments for posterity. Yeah. Well, you'll have them. You'll have them. You'll be an eight-year-old woman listening to your podcast. And if anybody is like overwhelmed by journaling, one, I'm making the easiest journal in the world ever. I think it's coming out in May or June. Okay. Um, And it is like, it is the lazy girls journal basically with Em and Friends, Emily McDowell's company. And two, Another thing that is my journal is my iCal or my Google Calendar. Ooh. Like that's a journal, Becca. That's I feel like journal. my notes app is my is yes. my journal. Yeah. That's Although journal. sometimes it's you like, find things in there and you're like, why does this note just say Fred? Who's Fred? What, is it, what does that mean? What does that mean? All the time. I cleaned out my notes app the other day and I was like, what is wrong with oh, yeah. me? <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Delete, delete, delete. Like, <laughs> and I'll do it in the middle of the night too. I'll wake up and be like, I got a great idea. And then I'm like, what? That's impressive. Nora, I, th- this was like last year, had a dream about an idea for, I don't know what it was, like a scripted podcast, a TV show, something. Best idea I've ever had. I was like, oh my God, I just came up with gold, wrote it down in the middle of the night, woke up the next morning, was telling my friend Rachel, who's my creative partner for Rom-Com Pods. I was like, I had the best idea last night. I, I have the idea. Looked at what I wrote on my phone. It was six words. Three of the words were friend. The idea was you can take it if you want. Best friend dates friend's other friend. (laughs) That's the whole idea. I was convinced that I had just come up with the next great American novel. You might have. I don't think I did. I think it there's needs, a lot to within that that you can expand, though. You know, like maybe the friend is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> See, exactly. I know that in the middle of the night, you were seeing it. Yes. Like you were seeing it. You were like, I, I can, I, there's seven different scenes yeah. that you thought could be communicated with best friend dates friend's other friend. Yeah. You're like, that's all I'll need. That's all I need. Becca. She knows. Listen, I needed more. (laughs) Well, I'm going to be first in line to buy that book personally. (laughs) So even more so than your actual book coming out. Yeah, take it. I'm I'm writing it as we speak. It's a free idea. And the title (laughs) is going to be Best Friend Dates Friends Other Friends. Honestly, it's kind of catchy because best. Yeah. Anyway, it's got a cadence. It's got a good rhythm to it. So that's in my notes app. Yeah. For for future 80 year old me. Let's take an ad break. I'm very excited about this upcoming weekend because my main plan is simply Christmas decorating. Uh, I'm very excited about this. Yeah, it's, it's honestly a highlight of the year because this also means that my favorite tradition of wrapping presents and watching a Christmas movie is right around the corner. I haven't quite purchased all the gifts for friends and family yet, but I've loved browsing through Uncommon Goods to narrow down the best options. So if you're not already familiar with Uncommon Goods, my favorite way to describe it is 
It's a giant online store that has hundreds of thousands of gifts for the people that seem to have everything else or are really bored by typical impersonal gifts. So one of the things that I love about Uncommon Goods is their kits. They have a lot of kits that are either cocktail making kits or um, kind of like kitchen type kits. Like for instance, they have a gourmet oil dipping spice kit. They have a homemade limoncello kit. I love that these gifts are kind of like a gift and an experience all in one. And they have so many original gifts that are just like outside of the norm and aren't things that people are going to be like, yeah, I have seven scarves. I'm good. The other thing that's great about Uncommon Goods is they offer uncommon experiences, which are virtual classes that serve as opportunities to have fun and connect. This is such a great option for people who are constantly trying to declutter their homes like me or take on a more minimal approach to life. An experience gift is not only unique, but it's also a gift that takes up zero room in your closet or junk drawer. No matter what your friends or family are into, Uncommon Goods has the perfect gift. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not the same lackluster gifts you can find just anywhere. I personally just bought a Christmas gift for a family member just a couple weeks ago on Uncommon Goods, and I'm so excited to surprise someone with the item. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash BOP. That's uncommongoods.com slash BOP for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Another topic you write about a lot in the book is body image and self-image. And actually, one of my favorite essays was the one about how your friend said like it's not weird that we're never going to be like elegant like Kate Blanchett <laughs> and you talk about how like there's sort of how there's other versions of you and you compare them to the one now which is something I think about a lot anyway I I loved that but do you find that writing about things that are about aging or body image or how you view yourself as a person <laughs> is more difficult than something like grief or does it feel because they're both very vulnerable experiences, but I feel like body image, especially aging and all of that is a lot easier for people to pick apart. And well, grief is universally accepted as sad. It's sad when somebody dies. You're allowed to be right. sad. And but you're not are less likely to, to be your... like, you're doing that wrong. Yeah, but yeah, you're not supposed, you're not to, supposed hate your body. to hate your body. You're not supposed to hate your body. And you're supposed to be not now you're not even supposed to be positive about it. You're supposed to be neutral. And I'm like, I would love to be there. I would love to be there. I would love to be there. Unfortunately, I do find it slightly difficult to undo generations of social conditioning with a hashtag. I, I do. I loved that line in the book so much because that's what it is. Like <laughs> to ignore that elephant in the room is literally completely unrealistic. Do we think everyone else is lying? Like, not to put too yes. fine a point on it. I I blame Dove, personally. <laughs> we all blame Dove. We blame, I think that was Ogilvy and Mather. And if it's not, I'm sorry for slandering you. But it was, it was an ad executive who was like, I've got the most wonderful idea. But like, I was having this conversation with my friend. We walk our kids to school. We we're walking back. And she said, her daughter, who's six years old, who's in first grade, has started changing her clothes in the morning, like putting on an outfit, looking at herself, perceiving herself and changing her clothes. 
because I had said, oh, I'm so bummed out that this is the first year that one of my kids cares if their Halloween costume is cool. Mm. And I was like, oh, that just hurt me so bad. And she said, well, my kids are changing her clothes. And she tried on an outfit and said, oh, I don't like this. This makes me look fat. My friends had like spun around, you know, three mm. times, like her eyes go black. She's like, where did you even hear that word? Where did you hear that? And she said, well, if, you know, her friend, her friend, and her friend told her that her friend told her that. And it's like, this is 2022. This is 2022. And there's still a six-year-old girl who's saying that to another little girl. And we do our best as human beings to not get that on the people around us, on the children around us. And then they go out into the world and it rubs off on them anyways. And it is so difficult. A kid came home from preschool and said, this girl was crying because so-and-so said that she was the fattest person in our class. And I said, oh, like, well, why was she crying? And he said, oh, well, because he said that she was the fattest person in the class. And I said, well, is that bad? And he said, well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> but, yeah. And he said, to her, it is. That's why she's crying, you idiot. Like, you know, a four-year-old <laughs> being like, well, she was crying. Obviously, it wasn't good to her. But I'm trying to have this like teachable moment, right? I'm yeah. like, but you don't value her any less, right? You don't like, she's... <laughs> And he's like, this is the world we live in, mom. Yeah, get real. Okay, <laughs> get real. So I don't want to be nihilistic about it, but like, yeah, it is It is hard to write about because like anything else that is important to us, it feels horrible to think you might have it wrong. It feels horrible to think like you might be doing it wrong or that somebody else might think that you are doing it wrong when really like we are all just sort of flailing our way through. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Yeah. The aging conversation, especially, I don't know if you guys have, have you guys had your Botox or your Dysport or anything yet? I have had Botox once and I mm. liked it. I yeah. I would do it again. Had no qualms. Yeah. No qualms. No qualms. I, what about you, Olivia? I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. I have actually. And for a long time I was like, no, I don't want to. And then I wrote a story about it and I interviewed some people and I was like, maybe I should. And then the whole time I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then I got it and I was like, now I can't go back and I don't know when to pay the money, but everyone has it. But am I going to have to tell my kids one day? Like, yeah, inject stuff into your face. Like, (laughs) I don't know. So I loved your essay about that too, because I have such complicated feelings about it. I feel like I have pretty uncomplicated feelings about it. Like, it's my face. I can inject whatever I want into it. (laughs) I don't feel complicated. I I feel very complicated about body image, but I do not feel complicated about, like, I can inject whatever I want into my face. It's not your face. Yeah, it's uh, that's how I feel about tattoos, which at one point were like extremely controversial. And oh my gosh. And you know, my mom was like, it's so permanent. And I was like, no, I'll die. No one will remember. <laughs> yeah, they'll be they'll be forgotten. But yeah, I feel I feel these these complicated feelings about about how I should or should not age, how I should or should not feel about my body, how I should or should not be parenting. And the only way that I know how to make sense of it is to like talk about it, write about it, and to put these like soft parts out there. One thing I'm curious about that is I don't think in your book, I've only gotten to halfway. I'm listening to the audio. It's really lovely. I feel like I'm best friends with Nora, even though this is the first time we're meeting. So if you'd like to like get really intimate with Nora and like listen to her for five hours. I love the audio version. Do the audio. You moved 
somewhat recently. Yeah, two years ago. Two years yeah. ago from Minneapolis yep. to Arizona. Yes. And I'm, I'm just curious how it's felt uprooting your life and starting fresh. Does uh, it feel fresh? Does it feel good? Does it feel bad? Yeah, I love a, I love to light a match. I have a burned match tattoo because I love to just whoosh, start over at any point uh, for anything, for anything. I have rarely kept a job longer than 18 months. So it is now I'm, now I'm self-employed. And that is the longest I've held any job is the one I had to make up myself. Um, so I love starting over. It was it was a time that made sense for us. We had a kid graduating high school and a kid graduating eighth grade. And then we had a first grader and a toddler. Had we not moved then, it's hard to move a you know, it's hard to move a fifth grader. It's hard to move a sixth grade. You know, it's like we had like a we had a break and we took it. We moved here. I have family here. My first husband's family is here. So we had come here on vacations. I came here for the first time with Aaron and I loved it. I had not even gotten into the city of Phoenix yet. I was in the airport, outside the airport, and I just felt like the desert air. And there's something in my body that responds so well to it. I am a lizard. That might be it. I just love the heat so much. I just, I love the desert. And I was like, we got to live here. I want to live here. He's like, relax. You haven't even left the the airport property yet. <laughs> and every time we came down here, I was like, no, I really want to live here. I want to live here. And I am a depressive person. And winters in Minnesota are so long. They're so gray. They're so cold. And I would get so, so down that it was frightening. And I just remember telling Matthew, like, I can't do this. Like I can't, I, I, I won't live here if you know what I mean. Like I won't be alive here. <laughs> like yeah. if, if I have to stay here, I just won't be. And he was like, okay, well let's, let's, let's figure it out. And I spent probably, you know, 2018 and most of 2019 traveling for work. And I would go to every city that was warm and sunny. And I would look around, I would look at neighborhoods. I would, if I was at a book event, I would ask people, where do you live? Like specifically, where's your house? Like, <laughs> and where do you go for breakfast? Okay. And you like, thought you were here like, because you're a fan of me. I'm here oh, to yeah, find no, out no, where no, you no. live. I'm here to find, I'm here to come to your home is what I'm here to do. <laughs> and, uh, and we looked at so many places and we looked in Denver and we looked in Austin and we looked at Dallas, which was beautiful and Los Angeles, which we couldn't afford. And Arizona made sense. It made sense. And I will say that seeing a blue sky every single day, yesterday it rained, which was very strange, but seeing a blue sky, seeing the sun every day has been so wonderful. And starting over in a city where nothing bad has happened to me yet, you know, Minneapolis mm-hmm. is a great place, but I was born and raised there. So there's not a single corner in that city where I can't like trace it back to like, you know, four generations ago with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, this is the grade school my dad went to. And this is the grade school I went to. That Starbucks used to be a Walgreens. That Walgreens used to be a Rexall Drugs. Like, I, it's, it's an uncomplicated place for me to live right now. There's something about like making the choice to have a place that's yours that you're like, okay, I looked at all these other places and I'm going there as opposed to here's where I was born. I just ended up here and it's great and lovely, but the world is bigger <laughs> and I can do what I want. Yeah. And I've loved watching like your move too, Olivia, and like watching oh, you fun. like explore things and like enjoy them and yeah, make a life of your own. And I also know that like nothing's a blood oath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
we could move again. <laughs> we People could move again. That. Yeah. <laughs> we could move again. We could move again. And after being in Philadelphia, I was like, holy, maybe I should have thought about this some more because I really love that blue. city. The sky is blue outside today. It's just so such I can a confirm it is cool nice city. Sometimes. Such a it's cool awesome. city. Becca is constantly like, maybe I should move to Philly. And I'm like, Maybe I, I don't know. Should. I historically have been a light a match person and I, I haven't moved. I've been in New York for 10 years. I really love it here. I'm not looking to light a match location wise necessarily. Although if there was a way immigration wise, I could go live in London. See ya. Bye. I would live in Ireland. I would Ooh. live in Ireland. I've never yeah. been to Ireland. Oh, uh, it's so pretty. But I've been watching Bad Sisters and mm. what I'm taking away from it is simply landscape. Yeah. That's yeah. it. <laughs> but it makes me so happy to hear that you're like you're thriving somewhere new. I feel like so yeah. often we get questions on the podcast or um, I get questions on DMs and people are so paralyzed to try something or move. And I don't think I give yeah. good advice because I'm like, burn your life to the ground. Go somewhere else. I say else. the same thing. <laughs> I say the same thing. I moved when I moved, when I wrote that piece, that Tumblr piece, I just moved back to Minneapolis and I'd lived in New York for five years and I was not thriving. It was, I was never going to make it there. And I moved home and I lived with my parents and I started to make friends and they were starting to get job offers in other cities. And I'm like, should I go? And I was like, go. This city will always be here, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Knock on wood. But like, you know what I mean? Like, go. Yeah. You can always go back. Yes, there is like privilege and being able to like move and uproot your life. Yes, 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 yes. But if you're even asking, you have it anyways. So like, yeah. you know, so like you can go. You can, if you have the opportunity to start over you can start over. And if you hate it, at least you know that you tried. At least you know you tried. You never have to wonder. I love it. Absolutely. Let's take an ad break. Olivia, are you a menu stalker before you go to a new restaurant? I am a menu stalker. Yes, Becca. That tracks. That tracks. I am a huge menu stalker. Before I go somewhere new, I need to read all the reviews. I need to look at the menu. I spend so much time poring over all the information I can get my hands on. So why wouldn't you do the same thing when you're booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can see real verified patient reviews to help you find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. I've been a longtime ZocDoc user myself, and I've also been the biggest advocate of ZocDoc. Just the other week, I was visiting my parents. My mom needed a doctor, but they had just moved to a new location where she didn't know anyone. She didn't have any doctors lined up. And I immediately suggested that she download ZocDoc to make the process of finding a doctor that much easier. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. And they have every type of doctor you might need, from primary care physicians to dentists to dermatologists and physical therapists. And you can read reviews so you can make sure you're getting the right doctor, not just the first one who takes your insurance. And you can book an appointment in person or remotely and see the doctor's full schedule so you can pick a time that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a quality doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com BOP and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash B-O-P. ZocDoc.com slash B-O-P. So 
switching gears to talk about book stuff a little bit more, we did a series on the podcast earlier this year about how a book gets made, but it was mostly about fiction. So can you tell us a little bit about if the process of publishing a memoir or nonfiction is different? What's that like? I feel like it's very different. So I have, I've written five books. One was a novel based on a movie. So I didn't have to make the people up. I got to make up stuff about the people. I loved writing fiction. It was amazing. It was fun, but I had guardrails, right? The, the guys who wrote Bad Moms that already made the characters, made the world, and I just got to like explore it a little bit more. I am the worst person to ask this question of because I came to writing books in such a roundabout, horrible way that I wouldn't suggest, which is that my husband died and he and I wrote his obituary together and it went viral. And then people found my Tumblr, Becca. People found my Tumblr. I was already there. People people found me. You were an early adopter, but other people found this Tumblr that I've been keeping when Aaron got sick and uh, it, it really blew up. An agent found it. She had reached out and was like, maybe in a couple of years, you'll want to write a book. And I was like, I want to do it now. I want to do it now. I'm demented in grief. I have no job anymore. I have no job. I have no prospects. I'm already a burden to my family. And I, I just wanted to write about the chaos. Like I wanted to write it before I was tempted to make it mean something. I really did. And uh, you write a, for nonfiction, at least the way that I've done it. Sometimes you write a, I, don't, I won't tell you how to get an agent because I literally don't know. One came to me. That's how I got an agent. One came to me and said, I read your blog. I don't think people do that anymore, but it happened in 2014. I read your blog. Would you like to write a book? This is also after the sort of wave of blogs to book. Do you guys remember that wave mm-hmm. where like people would write a blog, the blog would become a book, Julie and Julia. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then it became a major motion picture. That era was done. People weren't doing that anymore. So it had to be different than the blog, but we wrote a proposal together. Um, She had told me how to write a proposal. I wrote it. Um, I brought that proposal. She set up meetings. I went out to New York like two months after my husband died. What? I was out there for my friend's wedding. I was a bridesmaid. Oh. (laughs) And I packed on some uh, pitch meetings and left my baby with my cousin's wife and, and her sister in the West Village. And I went to meetings and talked about Aaron and this book and the first book that I ever wrote. And from there, I got offers. And that's how the first book came about. And for the second book, I sort of, I I wrote a proposal. It's called No Happy Endings. It's about trying to hold on to a life that you had and a life that you loved while also trying to love the life you have. I had fallen in love again. I had blended a family. And it had not been that long since Aaron died. And I felt horrible guilt about happiness. I felt horrible guilt for having guilt about being happy. I just felt horrible <laughs> all the time. And I felt horrible and defensive when people were like, oh, good, you got your happy ending. Oh, good, you're not sad anymore. Oh, good. Oh, good, good, good. We don't have to worry about you anymore. And I wrote a proposal and the first book had done pretty well. And that allowed me to sell the second book. And the third book, Bad Moms Came to Me, which was great. And I'd written my last book. I turned the last book in, in probably 2019, because Bad Moms came out in 2020. And I really did think I was done. I thought I was just done writing books. Um, It takes a lot out of you. I hope it does not take a lot out of you, Becca. Uh, But it does. I'm sure other authors have told you. It's just, it, it, it turns you into this sort of unending pit of need, 
right? Because as the writer, even with a big publishing house behind you, everybody in the world right now is doing more work with fewer resources. Every single person, every single person you interact with, somehow it's just gotten worse and worse since 2020. And we're all doing like all these jobs and everybody is doing their best and everybody is so overworked. And even if you have a giant publishing house behind you, a lot of the promotion for a book comes down to the author. And it is so gross and it makes me feel so gross to have to like send DMs to people and be like, can I send you a book? Wait, but you asked how a book came together. You didn't ask how it feels. <laughs> but like, you know, no, it, that's pretty- it, uh, nonfiction, you typically write a proposal first. If they buy it, you write the whole book. I think it's the opposite for fiction, right? You write the whole book. You write the whole and book then with no guarantee that it will sell. No guarantee. I haven't gone through the promotional process, so I don't know what more it will take for me. But my whole like takeaway from this whole process is like, how does any book get made? This is so fucking hard. It's so hard. And mine's not even about me. Like I'm not even digging into myself. Yeah. But you are. If you're doing it, it's 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 hard, I think, no matter what the format is. Your nonfiction proposal, at some point, I'm gonna find my first proposal because it's so bad. It's so bad. And I don't even think it I doubt that. Look at that Tumblr post you wrote. 12 years ago. was great. I would reblog that today. I got to find that. I remember deleting all my tumblers, and but I did download them. Mm. Like, because you can download it. But who knows where that ended up? It's gone. It's gone. You know, it's gone. It was on some desktop. I didn't save it to a a cloud anywhere. I know I didn't. I know myself. But it's on the Wayback Machine. But it's somewhere out there. So yeah, you write a proposal. I will find my proposal. I will send my proposal to anyone who wants it, who anyone who wants to see how a, a book proposal is put together or was in 2014. And then you just go out there and you try to sell it, I think first to an agent, and then you and your agent will work on selling it to an editor. And all my books have changed vastly between the proposal and the publication, like vastly. I think it's one thing I even have it all outlined, but once I get into it, I'm like, sorry, it's something else. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's normal for every book. Yeah. Good. Okay. I'm like, uh, yeah, no, actually that wasn't interesting at all. I like outlined a bunch of essays for bad vibes only. And then I was like, oh, who cares? (laughs) Oh, who cares? I have to tell you that I got bad vibes only in the mail and I went to the beach with my family for two weeks and I brought like all the books with me to share with everyone. And my mom read your book actually before I did. And she was like, this is so funny, Olivia. And then she'd go around to like every member of the family reading passages from it. Oh and she'd be God. like, this reminds me of so-and-so family member. And like, she's like, Olivia, you'll love this. Olivia, you'll love this. Olivia, you'll love her. And I'm like, yeah, I know, mom. Also, she's tall. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like Becca had this whole backstory. But for me, how I've like known you in my social media world for so long, it's like tall person. Because... <laughs> For those that don't know, Nora talks about being tall all the time, which I just feel in my core because when you're tall, you just, you, Becca's tall too, but not as tall as us. What are you, 5'8 or something? I'm 5'10. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a, but apparently surprise. that doesn't count in this podcast. <laughs> I feel like once just a you sexy hit baby. Six feet tall, it's a different thing. It's like, a different thing. It's a different thing. You, you could still be a sexy baby. I still Becca. accept you. I still okay. feel a kinship. But anyway, it's that, different. Was, that was an it aside, is different. But yeah. I just, yeah. I was, I was telling someone, I was like, if once you, when you are a 5'10 fifth grader, yeah, you have to make it your personality. Okay. You yeah. have to make it, you to survive. I, it, I am, if I were on Housewives, I'd be like, 
I'm tall, I'm left-handed, and my husband's dead. <laughs> That's like my three personality traits. Andy Cohen would be like, take it over. No, stop. No, try it again. <laughs> I like it. It's really direct. Back. That's what you're getting. Yeah, it's a summary. <laughs> three bullet points. Perfect. Oh. Uh, yeah, was that clear? Was that clear as mud for anybody who's wondering how a nonfiction book happens? I mean, it's better advice than we can give having never sold or written a nonfiction book. I think it was great. Also, here's it, like, I don't know if people are looking for advice, but like, it's so easy to be like, oh, like, and people will reach out to me and sometimes kind of unkindly. They'll say this, but I think it's just because they, they just feel awkward. Like at a at one of my book events for Bad Vibes Only, someone was like, oh God, like I read your first book and she's like, I hate her because my husband died too. And now I can't write a book like that. And I was like, yikes, but uh, Ooh, wow. I get it. Um, trust me, my husband was not the first husband who died. <laughs> Not the first widow in the world. It does not matter how many books there are that are, you know, similar to yours that you think are like, oh, this has already been done. It hasn't been done by you. And you have to figure out where on the bookshelves, like where in the bookstore your book would sit and who you want it to sit next to, who you want your book to sit next to. And that's how you'll kind of like find your own, um, your place, your place. But when you're constantly just like looking over your shoulder at other people's paper, you're just going to feel so, so crappy. So you recently posted this reel about how you've never been on the New York Times bestsellers list, right? Is that correct? Yes, okay. yes, yes. Five times not New York Times bestseller. <laughs> I love this video so much because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially you're saying like it matters to various people and in industries, but I cannot have it matter to me or my mental health will not survive. Can you talk about that video a little bit? What spurred it? Because I just, I feel like every writer should see that. Every writer I should feel this and see it. I, oh, I made so it for every that. writer. I made it for my friends. I made it for myself. I made it for every writer I know who's lost their mind in pursuit of like one arbitrary measure of success. And it does not matter if you are a writer, it doesn't matter what you do. You have something in your mind that you think will be the thing, the thing that means you made it. And before, and you know, reels can only be so long, but like before I was a writer, I worked in advertising. I was like, if I can just get this one award for regional advertising excellence, <laughs> then I'll know, then I'll know that I'm good, right? Then I'll know that I'm good. If yeah. I can just get this job title, then I'll know that I'm good. And when you are so obsessed with like reaching for a thing, I'm not saying like don't have goals, but like you can't have goals that are out of your control and that like control how you feel about yourself and how you feel about your work. Because my job is done. I wrote the book. That was my job. <laughs> like I can't, I can't force anybody to read it or to like it. It is so easy to focus on what you want and miss like what you have. And if you had told me in 2010, when I wrote that, Becca, if you had told me I would have written one book, I would have been like, that's all I'll need to be happy. Are you kidding me? I get to do that. I get to do that. And so to be, and I have been this person, by the way, when I think no happy endings came out, and it didn't hit the list. I was like, oh, wow, I'm such a fucking loser. Are you kidding me? Like, you got to do something that the vast majority of people who want to do it never get to do. And you're going to sit here and be like, yeah, but I didn't get like a special sticker on my book. Like, literally, who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Who this cares? is so healthy of you. So, so many of the people that I love. And I'm like, you did a good job. You made a good thing. You made a good thing that people like and you like it. 
And it is very, very hard to stay in that mindset. I was having a time of it. I did like a almost month-long book and podcast tour together. So half the things were like TTFA live shows and half the things were like bookstore events. And, you know, doing live shows in 2022 is like hard and weird. I'm not Harry Styles. I'm not selling out, you know, 45 nights at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> I'm not doing a residency in every city. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh God, what if no one comes and da, 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 da. And like, you know, in 2019, like these, you know, the bell house sold out. We did two shows that night. And I'm like, it's not happening this time. And my husband basically was like, will you shut up? <laughs> like, he's like, get a can grip, dude. Like, get a grip. Get a grip. Okay. <laughs> if 100 people show up in a theater that is built for 1,100, more than 100 people showed up, but whatever. The point is, like, if 100 people, show, if five people show up, like, they showed up. Like, those are the people. So, like, give the people what they came for and stop calling me from the road. <laughs> Even if it was 1,100 people showing up, then there'd be the next place that was 1,500 and be like, why isn't 1,500? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I am trying so hard to be present for what is and to get out of strive mode because so much of the past seven years, almost eight years since Aaron died has been me striving. And in therapy, I've learned like, what was I trying to do? Like earn my spot on this world. Like I'm trying to prove that I'm good enough to still exist because he doesn't. And before that, by the way, I was just constantly, I wasn't that much different before he died either. Right? I was like, I was constantly like, do I belong here? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Like what, what sort of like things can I collect to prove it to myself and then you, so you know that I'm okay. And then if you know I'm okay and you tell me I'm okay, I'll be okay. Like it's just really, uh, it's nuts. It's nuts. And like Becca, I have kept journals in second grade. They're all the same entry. <laughs> for 30 fucking years, <laughs> like the same entry being like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I'm doing a good job. Here's all the things I'm worried about. <laughs> like, oh, same. I relate to uh, basically everything you just said. So much. <gasps> it's not uh, sustainable living that way. That's for sure. It really isn't. So trying to get to some life neutrality, <laughs> not body neutrality, but some life neutrality. I support that. Love life yeah. neutrality. What a like what a good goal. I'm here. So we've been on kind of like this this roller coaster of a grab bag interview, but we we would be remiss. We cannot let you go without having you recommend some books because I know you're a big reader too. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So I guess first, just like what's the best, most recent thing that you've read and would recommend? I take this duty very seriously. Okay. So currently I am reading the Rob Delaney book, A Heart That Works, mm-hmm. which is also a grief memoir about his son dying of a brain tumor. I'm reviewing it for the Washington Post, which I have to write down and do this week. (laughs) Uh, I will actually do that. I'm reading that book right now. If you are familiar with his comedy and like his delivery and you like things that really toe that line between just the devastating and the deadpan, that is what the tone is. And what I like about it, and it took me a minute to realize this is what I liked about it, but this ties back to one of Olivia's first questions. There are bags of shit he won't give you. And I really mm. like that. Well, you heard it, it is, here first instead of in the Washington Post. We scooped him. Yeah, oh, paper scooped, scooped, scooped him. Got him. <laughs> got him. Um, but I've really, really, really liked that. I am also reading Fatty Fatty Boom Boom by Rabia Chowdhury. What's that? I haven't heard of it. Add, it is, so she is 
that I think she was sort of known for being the podcaster who okay. like following Serial, she knows she's personal friends with Adnan Syed and she like dug way more into the case, like had her own podcast, like really, she's also an attorney, really worked to free him, to actively free him, was not neutral about his innocence at all. And this is a memoir about growing up. That's her nickname as a child that her parents gave her. Wow. That her parents gave her. Yes. And she's South Asian and it's about, you know, like her her mother's body issues, her mother's food issues and hers. And it's really, it's, it's a lovely book. It is a very lovely book. That one is new. I also read The Old Place by Bobby Finger, which is a novel. And it takes place in small town, Texas. It's a very like cozy book. It's a friendship book. It's kind of a grief book too. And I have only known Bobby Finger from Who Weekly same. A very, very funny podcast. And so I was actually really surprised by the writing. I was very oh. surprised by sort of like the depth of like feeling in the writing. I was kind of expecting like a cut up, you know? Yeah, like a snarky, but, like. Yeah, that's very sweet. It's very sweet. Hmm. The book that I'm hoping here, there's two books that are on my TBR that I'm very excited to read. Right now, all I want to read is nonfiction. I am trying to start The Secret History of Home Economics. Okay. And Road to Nowhere, which is, I can't remember the subtitle, but it's about what I know. Here's what, what drew me in is Road to Nowhere. What Silicon Valley got wrong. I stopped reading after that. I'm ready. But all I had to hear was what Silicon Valley got wrong. I was like, I'm in. I'm in. Tell me. Say no more. (laughs) Can't wait. So those are some of my favorites right now. Well, thank you for all of those. Nora, you've been amazing. Yes. Can you? Oh, thank you. Can you tell the people? where they can find you on the internet and remind them the name of your book. And if you have a particular place that you would like to support for them to buy it from. Oh, yes, yes, yes. My book is called Bad Vibes Only. You buy it wherever you want to. Buy it wherever you want to buy a book, honestly. It's it's dark times. Buy, buy a book. As long as you're buying a book, I'm excited that you're buying a book. Everything else, I am Nora Borealis on everything except for Twitter because I left there in 2020, baby. So like, you're, you're a smart woman. <laughs> okay. I'm out. I was out early. Okay, early outer. Early unadopter. I love that. Um, Thank you, girls. This was so wonderful. I've like, I've, uh, I was really, really excited to be asked to do this. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you for your book. It's so fantastic. And like, so, I don't know, it feels like you, not that I know you before today, but like, thank you. It just, it was, it's so wonderful. It feels like that old Tumblr post. Let's get into some end matter. Yes. Olivia, do you have an obsession? My obsession? Yes. Actually, I have a brief water bottle suggestion for the group. No one can see this. I'm holding it up. It looks very 90s, like something my kindergarten self would have loved color-wise. Yeah, it kind of does. The one I have is very bright sort of pastel colors, but it's called, it's an Awala water bottle, O-W-A-L-A. And I received these after we did our episode about Stanley water cups and everything. But anyway, what is great about the water bottle is that it has this spout with a built-in straw. So you can either sip the straw or like chug it. That doesn't sound that cool, but it actually is. And the straw is such that you don't have to like 
pucker as much <laughs> around it. it. It's just like a very comfortable water bottle feel. I really like it. And I definitely plan on using this one for like my out of home trips to the world. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway, I, I think it's a great water bottle. That's all. And a lot of people message me on Instagram saying that they're like hardcore Awala water bottle cult members. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, tell me your obsession. So I've been very into puzzles lately, which I, I tend to be in the winter months. I feel like I owe Grace an apology because I once said that doing a puzzle by yourself is depressing and I didn't, I judged her for doing that. I am now a very hardcore solo puzzler, but I've been doing them because I feel like I've just been like a little bit anxious about book stuff and I just like I can get lost in a puzzle and it just like totally consumes me so anyway I have been blowing through puzzles and I think I've changed my mind on something other than judging grace for solo puzzling so Mm -hmm. I got a puzzle um this week from the brand piecework puzzles and it's called psychodelicatessen and it's like this psychedelic deli puzzle so it's like tie-dye rainbows and like matzo ball soup and a reuben and like pickles it's very cute so i had two of these puzzles last year my reaction was that they are too fucking hard (laughs) and they are hard but i've been going through puzzles so quickly that i'm actually kind of enjoying that this is more difficult i think you just have to have like the correct expectations of like how long it's going to take you and i i don't think i can sit as long and do this one because I would be frustrated. But it is... So it's a photo. How many pieces is it? A thousand. Oh. I only do thousand piece puzzles. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. Okay. But... Wow. Because it's a photo and there's a lot of stuff in it, it's like not impossible because there's a lot of differentiation as opposed to... You know, I did this one puzzle once where like the whole background was white and I was like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I don't that think I finished it. would just slowly drive me to complete madness. Yeah, I don't think I finished it. So I like that it's hard and it's like, I'm such a dweeb. It's like a really high quality puzzle. Hmm. It's like thicker and like, it's like so well made. I'm like, no, this is a good puzzle. (laughs) Is it expensive? Yeah. Oh, like how expensive? So I think online they're $30, but I bought it at like a, a local gift shop. That's like a cute independently owned like local store. And it was $40, but Okay. I was expecting you to say something really wild. Oh, so no. I think that's that's totally reasonable. I just feel like you can get puzzles. For hours of entertainment? Yeah. I feel like you can get puzzles on... I get a lot of puzzles from Gallison online, and I feel like they're much cheaper. Hmm. So, Well, that sounds good. It sounds very soothing. It reminds me the way you described it of how I feel about coloring books. Mm. You just get really lost in it, and you're just absorbed in the uh, repetition, I guess. Do you and Jake puzz? We we have before early pandemic. Mm. Jake gets obsessed Me though, too. and I'll like I'll like walk downstairs in the morning at like dawn, and he's just like at the table. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then we don't have that much room mm. <laughs> downstairs, so then it just sits there. Yeah, but I've never like gone on a trip and done one like on a rainy afternoon. Ooh. But that's very much my vibe. I would love doing that. Yeah. What about reading? I finished one book that has been everywhere, if you're into thrillers. (laughs) This book is Hidden Pictures by Jason Reculak. I'm sure I butchered that. This is a thriller about a young woman who becomes a nanny for a very wealthy family. 
and lives in like their guest house. And the child that she's nannying starts drawing really creepy pictures, basically. So it's very spooky. And what I love about the book is like there's actual drawings in it throughout it, which adds to the creepy factor. Mm. There are, it's hard to talk about the issues with this book without giving away some things, but there are things that people don't like about it that I understand. I understood why I can't spell them out without giving away like a major twist, but um, it was very fast paced. If you like just a page turning, very scary thriller, I think you'd like it. There was like some unnecessary like fat phobia that was just completely not involved in the plot at all that I didn't really like. It's kind of minor, but it's there. I'm kind of on the fence if I recommend it or not. But if you, I guess I don't know how quite how I feel about it, but it was an enjoyable reading experience for the most part. Okay. Yeah. But what about you? I read two books. So the first one I read was Things We Never Got Over by Lucy Score. And this is a TikTok book that has been just like all over TikTok. And I thought that the description didn't sound very good to me. It sounded really cheesy. Um, But I was curious just like what the hype was about. And so I bought a copy and I loved it. It is a rom-com about a woman who is a runaway bride and she goes to a small town to help her twin sister who's in trouble. And the twin sister takes off and leaves the runaway bride sister with her 11-year-old daughter. And she ends up having a... It's not enemies to lovers, but it's like rough introduction to lovers relationship with this like surly barber in town. If you're thinking, wow, Becca, that sounds like really formulaic. And like, I've seen a lot of romances similar to this. I just thought it was really well done. The dialogue was really funny. The setting was great. I loved the characters. I really enjoyed it. It's also very long, which I I generally think rom-coms do not need to be 550 (laughs) pages, which this one was, but it like didn't. 550 pages? Yeah, but it didn't drag. I really liked it. So I highly, I highly recommend it. And I think it's the first book in kind of like a loosely connected series. So the second book is coming out in the spring. The surly barber has a brother. And so it's like his story. Got it. So I, I liked it. I've been saying that I'm like, just not wowed by a, a romance lately. And this one like did it for me, even though it's not, not something I gravitated towards naturally. That sounds great. And then the second thing I read was an advanced copy of The Daydreams by Laura Henkin, and she is the author of A Special Place for Women and Happy and You Know It. This is a book that is about the cast reunion of a Mickey Mouse Club type TV show. So they were like child stars, and then in the present they're doing like a reunion show, and they all get together and like all their secrets and drama like comes to a head. It was so soapy and fun. It was a little ripped from the headlines. Like there was like kind of a Britney Spears-ish character who was like had gone off the rails since she'd been on the show. And like, I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting about how we treat celebrities and what it's like to get famous at such a young age. And it ultimately is just very light and fun and feels like reading in Us Weekly, which is an experience I really miss and enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds super fun. So yeah, this one comes out in May and you should definitely pre-order it. 
If none of those sound good to you, we also have our November book club, which is The Cloisters by Katie Hayes. I just started this when I was at my cozy in experience in upstate New York, and it truly is as atmospheric as Becca says. Becca, since I just started reading it, can you do the, the summary? Yeah, it's about a woman who graduates college and gets a prestigious position with the Met Museum, and she gets stationed to the Met Cloisters, which is a real place. There's kind of like a ragtag staff there, and she gets sucked into all of their drama, and she also gets sucked into the search for the world's first tarot deck. So... It's kind of a part suspense, part historical quest, historical, it's not really, I guess, historical mystery, you might say. Yeah. Very good. Very fall. Very like, I don't know if spooky is the right word. Yeah, it kind of is, though. Yeah. I I didn't really know how I would feel about it. I assumed I'd like it, but I love it so far. Also, the writing, I've been really impressed by. Very good. And also, I feel like I'm learning a lot, which I really love. Like, I love books that are set in settings that I'm completely unfamiliar with, which I was about all of this. So I, yeah, I'm just, I'm really, really enjoying it so far. And I can't wait to keep reading. Yeah. So join us in two weeks, pick up your own copy, and we'll discuss it the last Wednesday of the month. In the meantime, you can find us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. You can also join our Facebook group to talk about anything related to the podcast, books, and more. I'm on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. I can't quite picture what you mean by the suck or chug thing, which sounds very dirty now that I've said that. So.